You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. afternoon everyone today we are really lucky to have seattle police chief adrian diaz with us today he's going to talk to you a little bit about preventing crime and making your your restaurants and guests and employees safe um but before we get to that we have a little bit of housekeeping to do uh be sure to join us next week um wednesday november 29th at 10 a.m we have Sandeep Soli. He's a member of our advisory network who will present on extending your property leases. And he is a member of our advisory network. You can get a 30, if you're a member, you can get a 30 minute consultation with one of our advisors. Just make sure you contact your territory manager for that. Uh, we are recording this webinar today and we will have it up on our website later on this afternoon. And we will also have it in our public safety toolkit that we have online. You can find both of those at wahospitality.org. And now with that, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. And uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I'll, I'll briefly kind of go into just some of the challenges that uh, the department has faced over the last couple of years. And then I'll go into some ideas uh, that can also make your place uh, working better with uh, the Seattle Police Department. And so I'll just get in right, right into it. 2020 was a very difficult year for you, uh, for us, uh, for the city. Um, we were experienced a pandemic. Uh, we experienced uh, the riots and protests of 2020 and the George Floyd murder. Um, we had also this idea that potentially we would look at defunding the police department. Um, what that meant for a uh, 50% reduction in the police department meant 11-year officer uh, would potentially lose their job. So it put us on a, project, a, a trajectory course of losing uh, officers. We lost close to about 600 officers over the last uh, three years, which is our entire patrol force being completely um, not able to patrol. And that, that created great impacts into the community. We did see... Uh, right prior to 2020, we saw violent crime starting to increase, uh, and that continued over the last several years uh, to increase in crime, not, not only including uh, violent crime, but overall crime, theft, uh, car problems, burglaries, trespasses, stuff that impacts many of your businesses. And so <clears throat> as we were addressing a lot of the violent crime, we knew that we had to focus our, a lot of our efforts because we had a very, very little resources. We also, uh, during that same time, uh, had a ruling uh, from the Washington State uh, Supreme Court uh, that said it was called the Blake decision that said that uh, people using uh, uh, drugs or possession of drugs uh, was legal. And uh, it made the cities uh, and the state legislation try to figure out solutions on how to uh, revamp that. So for a couple of years uh, at the state level, we had not actually addressed uh, the possession of what we call violation of Uniform Controlled Substance Act. Again, as we saw uh, in 2020, 2021, we started to see an increase in homelessness. We started seeing an increase in people experiencing behavioral crisis. But then we also started seeing an increase in the amount of uh, fentanyl that was uh, infect infecting our neighborhoods. And that was all the things that you're probably experiencing even as, as, uh, even as early as today. And so 
uh, as we, as a department, uh, you know, focuses our efforts on recruiting and hiring. Uh, so if there's anybody in this audience that's interested in in policing or changing a career, you know, we are hiring. Um, but uh, you know, we've hired about 225 people. We are looking at, at trying to uh, increase the ranks up to 1,400 personnel. Right now, we're about a thousand uh, personnel, so we're uh, not quite there, but we um, are currently, you know, recruiting. We're uh, working with some uh, different companies uh, to help us in our recruiting plan, and we're working closely with the mayor's office uh, on being able to retain our people. As as we look at this police workforce, uh, it's really important for retention, and I'm sure that many of your companies are all experiencing the same challenging and not only just uh, hiring people, but also being able to retain your good people. Um, and in spite of, or in, in the mix of you know, high inflations and you know growing prices, you're trying to figure out how do you uh, have a workforce that also uh, has competitive wages. And so those are the things that are the same challenges that the department is facing uh, today. So we are you know still working uh, our officers. We're trying to get them a good contract uh, um, that allows them to be uh, compensated and allows them to feel valued and respected. And so uh, that is something that, you know, we're working towards as well. <clears throat> as we experience, uh, as really started focusing on a level of the drug usage, <clears throat> about five years ago, we recovered about 500 fentanyl pills um, for the whole year. And uh, <clears throat> that was really like, we hadn't seen this drug. We really didn't know much about it. Um, it was actually a very costly drug at that time. Uh, it was roughly about $15 a pill. And now uh, this year we've recovered over 2 million pills. Um, and each pill has enough uh, fentanyl that can actually kill somebody. So if you think about that, that is almost killing the city three times over uh, with our population size. And it has huge impacts to the city. But now most of those pills are roughly about 85 cents a pill to a dollar a pill. And uh, and what you find is, is that many people are trying to figure out how to use, you know, sometimes steal to be able to fund their source. People are using anywhere from 15 to 20 pills. And that, you know, you're you're having to steal way more, much more money uh, to be able to keep that funding or keep that habit going. And we've seen it. Uh, translate out into increased overdose deaths uh, and increased hospital visits <clears throat> that have you know plagued our system. So a lot of our systems right now are at capacity because the fire department is having to respond to a lot of overdoses. The police department is responding as well. And then it's also triaging people into Harbor View <clears throat> and being able to get them the services that is needed. <clears throat> so this year, working with the Seattle City Council, initially, uh, the drug usage ordinance hadn't gone through. Um, now we have been able to be able to work through that and actually get it enacted. Uh, we went live on October 20th, and currently we've already made I mean, dozens and dozens of contacts where we've gotten people into services, but we've also uh, been able to find and identify people that have warrants um, <clears throat> that are uh, out of the streets for rape, uh, assault, domestic violence, and right over things, and we are end up booking those uh, people into jail. Um, and then we're still also referring them into services. So we still want to make sure that we're taking an approach that is compassionate, um, but also addressing uh, many of the criminal issues that uh, that you might be experiencing um, in, in the in the community as well. 
apologize. I got a cough uh, that's still going on. So uh, <clears throat> the other things that uh, is we experiencing behavioral crisis. We roughly deal with close to about 11,000 calls for service and just people uh, in behavioral crisis. And when we talk about behavioral crisis, this isn't that they're committing a crime. It could be that they're a grave danger to themselves, a grave danger to others. And so we are constantly assessing what that looks like. About 35% actually meet the criteria for uh, involuntary commitment. That means that they're such a grave danger to themselves that they need to be hospitalized for several days and evaluated by hospital personnel. And, uh, and then the rest, uh, which is about 65% of the population that we're dealing with in this calls for service, are getting services. So we usually will get mobile crisis uh, clinic to come out. Uh, we'll get a variety, we'll refer them into a variety of other services. And some people <laughs> are part of some sort of criminal act. And so sometimes uh, some of them are going to jail for certain acts, uh, while others are also being released at the scene as well. So as we, as and I could tell you probably, you know, you're probably experiencing it. Your staff is probably experiencing people coming into your restaurants or coming into a hotel uh, experiencing behavioral crisis. Maybe sometimes they have an assaultive behavior. Maybe they are have already assaulted somebody and you're trying to figure out how to, you know, be able to get people safely uh, out or escort them out. Or, you know, the first thing that I always suggest, number one, always contact 911. <clears throat> get us out to respond out to that, uh, out that scene. Uh, we actually, in 911 response, we've added uh, the care system, uh, which is made up of 12 mental health uh, caseworkers uh, that are uh, able to respond out with police officers. Uh, we actually have a co-responder model as well, where we have officer and a mental health professional that are teamed up and that also respond uh, to some of these calls for service, depending on what time of day it is. And then we also have community service officers that are also looking at, you know, figuring out ways that we could deploy them uh, better to get people uh, into services um, or connected into a variety of other uh, programs. And so by, by the first way of doing that is literally contact, contacting 911. Second thing is, is obviously you want to make sure <clears throat> that your, you know, your, your personnel, your, uh, whether it's your workers, um, that they're trained in safety measures as well, like figuring out how they use shielding. Um, we, we, in police departments, we talk about time, distance, and shielding. So the more uh, ability for us to create time, which is usually space, um, allows us to have more options. And sometimes it's distance. So sometimes it's trying to remove ourselves a little bit from the situation, but keep mindful eyes and, and watching what's going on. And the third thing is that shielding. So using barriers in front of us uh, to create uh, spaces so they can't, people can't just readily uh, uh, come into that space where we might be assaulted. And so, um, again, we want to make sure that a lot of your personnel are are taking safe acts uh, to be safe. And um, and we think that time distance shielding are are able to do that. Sometimes people capture this on video. So if you have a place uh, of a business. We advocate for you to have good cameras to capture what's going on. It allows us if 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 when we need uh, evidence of an assault, we're able to to get some of that evidence to prove that assault for the court records. Um, so having cameras and having a space to be able to do that. 
<clears throat> we refer to it as <clears throat> crime prevention through environmental design, where we have people that are trained to help assess your business. Um, so we have crime prevention coordinators that can actually be contacted uh, and and requested uh, to do an assessment of your site. You know, we look at lighting, we look at video cameras, we look at how people utilize space. <clears throat> My experience um, prior to this job, I actually ran a grocery store and <clears throat> we had sometimes put, put product right in front of the doors. And uh, that was sometimes the first product that got stolen. And, uh, and so using that crime prevention on, uh, through environmental design tips, uh, it'll tell you what items that you should, you know, keep away from certain spaces and uh, try to prevent some of that uh, ongoing theft. And so <clears throat> these are just things that, that sometimes we don't always assess um, because <clears throat> we're trying to run a business. And so um, we can have our crime prevention coordinators go out and be able to, to connect with you. And the other thing I want to bring up, uh, there's two things that I wanted to uh, bring up. And number one, when it comes to our response, a 911, we refer to it as priority response. <clears throat> so we have typically four different types of responses. So one, priority one, is usually a violent crime in progress. Um, so it's a, it's typically a, a shooting that might have occurred, a robbery in progress, uh, sexual assault in progress, <clears throat> some sort of action that is could create potential death. And the officers, uh, when you call 911, it'll get dispatch, it'll come out to the 911 and they'll prioritize it as priority one. In that response, officers are trying to drop everything that they have going and trying to respond out to those priority one responses. And typically we're, we're out on an average of about seven and a half minutes uh, response, response time. So we are actually getting to those, many of those calls in a very, very quick manner. We're trying to get under, seven minutes, that's our goal, um, because every second counts. But it's usually typically a call that re require, you know, um, typically has a weapon or has something that makes it uh, a life or death situation. And priority two is an in-progress call. It could be uh, a car prowl in progress. It could be a burglary in progress, but typically it doesn't have, um, it's not a crime against a person. Um, or has just a lower level of, of potential threat for, for harm. And then priority three is typically a crime that has already occurred or a situation that has already occurred, the person is gone, and could be a paper call, could be an officer having to write a report on a traffic collision that's already happened, uh, could be uh, you know, a car problem that's already been happening, you're trying to get a report written, maybe for insurances, insurance purposes. So typically in those types of calls, uh, it takes a longer response time um, because uh, if we're prioritizing the priority one violent crime, uh, typically we might not get to that priority three uh, for for some time a little bit a little bit longer than we like to. Um, so just be aware that sometimes when somebody steals or sometimes you know people are trespassing, <clears throat> if it's <clears throat> a priority two, Type of call that means a crime in progress we might end up taking a little bit longer than those priority ones but we're trying to get to the, all of those calls for service and but just be aware that, that the response time might be just taking a little bit longer than uh than you'd like the other uh component to this is 
<clears throat> during the summer, we actually set up a, a community violence task force uh, that really focused on several different areas throughout the city to focus on the South End, Central District, Downtown, um, and Aurora. And those are areas were selected because of the potential propensity for violence that was occurring. And uh, we put a lot of, we use a lot of officers from, you know, a variety of different units, detectives, our community response group uh, to come in and try to focus our efforts on getting guns off the street. And in that response, we actually made some very targeted arrests and helped us reduce, you know, uh, the shootings and uh, the type of violence that was going on uh, by almost 9%, um, which was a really, really impactful um, ability of the task force. But that took from sometimes our ability to address sometimes the organized retail theft uh, work that is also, you know, sometimes affecting many of your businesses. Um, sometimes is you know it took a little bit longer call responses to to deal with sometimes people in behavioral crisis. So these are things that we're always constantly assessing. We only ran that for about a three month period because it, we knew that we couldn't run run it for longer because of our staffing, because we still need to make sure that we're addressing all of the issues that impact uh, your business. As we get into the you know, future of policing or future of the policing in the city of Seattle, we have to think ahead about what is uh, what is going on um, and what are the events that are you know going to end up being for the city. Uh, this summer we had uh, MLB All Star, which is a huge event. That's a week long event. It gave us a time to showcase you know uh, all of our baseball and all of Seattle. Um, but as we get into a couple years from now, we're going to have World Cup. And World Cup is, uh, as many people say, they say it's it's like all-star uh, times 100 on steroids. It's, it is going to have huge impacts to the city, um, but great impacts when it comes to tax revenue. And the people come in and they spend a lot of money and they want to visit and they want to see Seattle. So you know, we're going to have you know huge benefits to it. But we also, as a police department, are also planning to make sure that we also have a safe time during that time. We want to make sure we have good officers. We want to make sure that we're uh, recruiting and hiring. We want to make sure that uh, we're staffing them and putting them in areas where um, <clears throat> that they could benefit this community. Um, we want to make sure that we're utilizing technology uh, that allows us to be effective in our policing, even with short staff. So as we plan, you're going to see a lot of things that are coming um, that are coming at down the road uh, that that we need uh, to help us making sure that we're uh, really effective. So this year in this budget cycle, um, the city council is going to vote on a package of what we refer to as the crime prevention plan, and it's going to talk about several technologies um, from uh, a camera system, a CCTV um, in certain areas, and uh, that. It's some of that is looking at to be in the downtown location, which is going to be very, very impactful for uh, making sure that our downtown core is safe um, and that has uh, cameras and that we're able to be able to hold people accountable for when they commit uh, acts, uh, criminal acts. It's also going to have shot spotter is, is one of the requests that we've asked for, which is <laughs> where shootings happen for our ability to be able to respond to those types of incidences. And then the other thing that that is also looking at is having addressing the stolen vehicles. We have seen a 35% increase 
uh, in stolen vehicles and this year. And uh, hey, men, mainly in Kia and Hondas. So hopefully none of you are driving Kia or Hondas, but we want to, you know, that is one of the areas that, you know, people are, we want to encourage people to take precautionary steps if they do have those, that they're finding ways to, you know, address the recalls in those vehicles that they're using um, uh, uh, auto theft. They're like uh, devices up for their steering wheel, uh, lock devices. And so we want to make sure that people are using those uh, to try and prevent it. Because right now, uh, over the last couple of months, we've seen uh, an increase in what we're seeing as juveniles uh, engaging in some sort of robbery uh, or carjackings where they're stealing vehicles and then also using those vehicles uh, to commit additional crimes as well. And so if we can prevent that by, you know, figuring out ways to make sure that we're locking those vehicles up, figuring out ways to uh, take the the pieces that juveniles are, are sometimes getting into to figure out how to steal them. I think it's like a USB, a USB uh, switch. When they break the column, they're able to, to access it um, and start up the vehicle. So if they're taking steps to be able to prevent that, that would be, you know, those are the things that really would help us in our ability, but also it, it has great impact uh, because, you know, some people are using these vehicles to ram through um, <clears throat> like storefronts uh, to be able to steal product. And so um, <clears throat> the more we can address this overall issue and work together, that would really, really be hugely beneficial to all of us. And <clears throat> let me see if I, those were just some of the things that I initially wanted to start off with. Uh, I will open it up, I believe, for questions and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, if you have a question for the chief, go ahead and type it in the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen. Excuse me, your bottom of your Zoom screen. Um, in the meantime, while we're waiting, um, Chief, how how much do you recommend getting to know your local police officer, one that you see coming around often? Um, do you recommend that so that maybe we can, like, uh, he can offer tips or she can offer tips to help your business? And maybe you have somebody to call if you have questions. Yeah, so we actually have our crime prevention coordinators or civilians um, that can actually do uh, what I refer to as the crime prevention through environmental design. Uh, they can do assessments. <clears throat> they can look at, you know, just your place of business. Uh, they look at video cameras. They look at lighting, all that uh, ideas. Sometimes people will put up banners in front of their windows uh, to advertise, you know, sometimes sales. And, uh, and we encourage sometimes people to lessen those banner sizes because, the more people have line of sight with what's going on, criminals don't want to be caught. And so um, if there's banners that cover the whole window uh, and they feel like they can get away with something that happens right in front without being seen. And so the more that we can, you know, still allow businesses to be able to do their marketing and advertisement, but also still find ways that we can uh, see what's going on. So their criminal isn't just, going out and and running free and, and not being caught. And that those sometimes it's also adding video cameras. Sometimes it's adding other things uh, that allow us to to be able to be more effective. And what's with and so, oh, and then, oh God, sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask what the best way to get in touch with them would be. Yeah. So if you go to our Seattle Police website, uh, uh, there actually, if you type in crime prevention coordinator, Seattle Police Department, we we actually have a link to all of our, our coordinators are done by precincts. Uh, so it's actually a link to them. If, if honestly, sometimes it's just asking the officer, sometimes maybe they're, maybe they responded to a call for service. 
uh, at your location. And sometimes you can ask them those questions as well. And one of the other things that we're doing uh, is we have a program called SB Before the Badge. Um, we're going out into many areas of the city and we're introducing our recruits out to these areas and getting them to have conversations with sometimes the store owners uh, and businesses. If there's areas where people are interested in you know, learning a little bit more, uh, we actually have on our website, Seattle Police Department's Before the Badge Program, and you can email the coordinators and they will actually bring out some of the recruits just to get to know the businesses, um, understand the concerns that are in that area that are impacting their uh, um, that community. And uh, it gives us an opportunity for, I think, building those relationships prior to those 911 calls from coming into service. Does, I know in Spokane over here, we have like a non-emergency tip line. Does Seattle have something like that? Yeah, so we actually use, uh, I think it's 206-625-5011. It's a non-emergency line. Uh, we do have a text a tip. Um, and uh, I that I do not know the number uh, for it, but uh, uh, I do know the non-emergency uh, line for, for tips. Um, and that's typically, you know, like sometimes people have information on a violent crime and uh, they want to get information out. We also have... You know, a lot of times people will say, gosh, I want to report something. I, I want to actually, maybe there's no information. Um, and we're actually rebuilding our online reporting system. So soon uh, we're going to be launching that off. But right now we actually have an ability to report something online. Uh, we actually have the ability to download video. So if you had some uh, information that, hey, this person ended up, you know, breaking in uh, to our parking garage and, you know, car prowling a couple of the cars and you don't know what to do with the video, uh, you can actually download that video to our evidence.com based on the case number. And uh, we're able to be able to track those two uh, incidents, uh, that the video into the case uh, and put it all together. Hey, we have some questions coming in. Um, do you think that gangs are part of the problem? Um, they know that you used to have a gang unit, but they're not sure if you do anymore. Yeah, so we actually do have a gang. Uh, it's not a gang unit. Well, we have a gun violence reduction unit, um, and we expanded out uh, to that terminology because not always uh, are gangs involved in some of the criminal activity uh, involving guns. Um, so we find ourselves trying to make sure that when a, when there's a gun incident, that we treat it very similar to kind of a homicide scene, uh, where we're collecting all evidence. We test every round of those uh, casings. Um, and then what we're also doing is we're tracking to see what type of incident would that case might have been involved with. So we find stuff, uh, we've seen an increase in road rage. Uh, we've seen an increase in uh, guns being used in domestic violences uh, incidents. We've seen um, typically uh, what we refer to as like drive-by type shootings. Um, and then we give a gang nexus. So we have seen an increase in the gang nexus. Um, we've actually seen uh, initially at the very beginning of the year, we saw a re massive reduction in robbery nexus uh, to shootings. And then summer picked up, we actually saw an increase in gang nexus. And what we've also seen when there's actually a gang shooting, uh, when, it, when shots are actually uh, fired, it's not just five or 10 shots that are uh, fired. Sometimes we're experiencing close to 100 shots being fired. And that has had 
it's actually had three different cases where we've had she had mass shootings um, in a three week period. So during summer, we had a Capitol block party where one person died. Uh, three others were hit uh, hurt. Uh, we had the next week we had uh, five uh, five people uh, that were shot. No one was no one dead. Um, and then a week, almost a week later, uh, maybe a little longer than a week, we had a mass shooting where nine people were shot and three ended up, you know, dying. And so in some of these cases, we're experiencing, you know, you know, dozens and dozens of rounds fired. And typically in those shootings, we are seeing a nexus to gangs. Um, we've actually seen a reduction in overall shots fired. We've seen a reduction uh, in violent crime. We're actually down about 8% in violent crime. But when you experience a violent crime, there's a lot more violence to it. And, and that is, you know, some of the things that we're working. We've actually uh, made several really, really good arrests. In fact, we had one gun that was uh, used in 14 cases. Um, and so that means that that gun wasn't just used uh, 14 times. It was literally in 14 different separate incidents. Um, and so you're trying to track each one of those instances to see, uh, is it, is this person, did this person commit multiple homicides or multiple shootings, multiple assaults? And so, um, that's where our detectives have, have done a lot of really, really good police work, uh, to try and pull all of that information together. Okay. The state's 2024 legislative session is coming up in January. Uh, what additional resources is the SPD asking state leaders for, and what can the business community do to help with their advocacy? You know, I think, you know, as we, there's been a little bit of correction um, on our, uh, some of our state legislation, and I think we have been advocates for it. One of the things that, um, for us, it's, it's we want to make sure, we, we've pretty, under the consent decree that we've had, we've always been a little bit more restrictive in the way we look and view our policies uh, to the law. Part of that is, is to make sure that, you know, uh, sometimes, so for example, pursuits, we have a pretty, we have a pretty restrictive policy when it comes to pursuits. We do it in probable cause incidences for violent crime. Um, in the state, you could actually have reasonable suspicion uh, for violent crime. So Ours is a little bit more restrictive. So if an officer violates uh, the policy, they actually don't violate law. Some cities might say, we're going to have butted right up to the policy or to, to the law. Problem is, is that if they violate that policy, they violate law and they can be charged. And so I have to be very, very uh, cognizant of that and making sure that our officers are well-trained and that they're doing everything in practice. So we're actually putting a lot more use of um, equipment to be able to address that and still uh, be able to address and hold people accountable, but also give our officers a lot more uh, leniency so they don't, uh, aren't violating people's rights and in, in, in the law. And so these are just things that, that we're working with, but we have to work with the legislature uh, on these cases because um, before it, they put in some laws that made it very, very difficult to understand and interpret. And so we like to just advocate for good, clean laws and for us to really be a part of those discussions so uh, we can let them know what's effective and what isn't effective, what's not going to let us do our job. So that's really for my own uh, two cents. Uh, it's just making sure that we're, you know, the police departments are actively engaged in any new changes to legislation. 
<clears throat> right now, um, for us, we're just trying to be more efficient. So we're doing a lot more red light camera stuff. Uh, the state has allowed us to be able to do some of the, the red light camera um, work. And I would that that's always helpful for us because while we have to make sure that we reduce people's speed, that people are being a lot more safe uh, in their war, uh, in their driving. We also know that during COVID, uh, we saw an increase in, in deaths and uh, traffic-related deaths. So, you know, if there's ways that, and we don't have the personnel to basically do all these, a bunch of traffic stops to, you know, educate people. So you have to use technology to be able to do that. That's where the state legislations really can sometimes uh, uh, come handy and, and allow us to be more effective. Is there anything that operators can do to help you help you without adv ad advocacy with this at the state level? Um, right now, I think, uh, you know, I would just say pay attention to uh, elections, pay attention to, uh, you know, when news is covering different legislations, uh, pay attention to that. Uh, honestly, I think this year, I haven't heard of any new legislation that's coming down uh, that's going to have great impact uh, on us, but we're always paying attention to everything that's out there. And I think just for my own personal we're excited to be working with a new city council. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I know that come the very beginning of the year, it's, it's you know, uh, already reaching out to many of the, the new members um, that I think this is going to be an exciting time for us as a city to have, you know, uh, overall, you know, good support on trying to figure out how do we make public safety uh, the top priority. Okay. Can you please talk about plans to improve the illicit drug sales on Third Avenue and Pike Street and the surrounding downtown blocks? Yeah, so this has been a huge challenge. I think the two locations are 12th and Jackson and Third and Pine. Um, and both those locations, we've actually run several different uh, types of operations since October 20th uh, to try and reduce the amount of uh, usage of fentanyl. And, but as soon as you if you uh, have business or work or have anything in that area, you know that as soon as we make contact with somebody, uh, take them to the precinct, that there's probably four or five other users that are already out and about. So we're trying to create a, a more visible presence, um, trying to make sure that, you know, we break up some of the uh, uh, the congregating around Third and Pike, or really it's Third and Pike to Fourth and Pike has become a huge challenge around that Ross uh, dress for less. I was just driving. I usually drive every single morning through 12th and Jackson and third and uh, and fourth third and Pike and fourth and Pike, uh, just to see uh, where you know what it's looking like for the day. And then I'm contacting the captain usually that precinct, uh, West Precinct, to see what resources we've got to be able to support that effort. Um, we have some double up days where we have <clears throat> patrol is having a little bit more uh, ability for us to to um, have our patrol staffing uh, operate up with a little extra help. And so we're taking some of those extra resources and putting them in areas uh, of this just to have that visible presence. Um, and then also getting people into, so when we do make contact, getting people into, uh, into the services. So we use a variety of different diversion programs uh, to try and get people connected to some of the drug uh, um, services. 
Is there a correlation between violent gang activity and youth? And if yes, what techniques are being used to keep the violent gang members from negatively impacting the city? Yeah, so, you know, over the last several years, the city has you know, had actually uh, pretty good investments in a lot of the youth violence prevention work. Uh, so we work with a lot of different organizations on trying to make sure that they have case managers that are addressing their mental health or, you know, when shootings happen, trying to figure out how to reduce retaliatory shootings. So there is there is a lot of work that's being done. I don't think that we're going to fully understand the impact of what COVID had on our youth for some time. I think that we're, our youth have uh, seen um, some really significant uh, challenges. We are seeing an increase or uptick in the amount of uh, crime when it specifically comes to carjackings and robberies and some shootings uh, that are involving lower or uh, really young, young youth. Uh, when I mean by young, we uh, just recently made an arrest on a 12 and a 14 year old committing a robbery. And, uh, and we're seeing a little bit more of the, that occurring. Um, and so those are the thing, those are some of the challenges. Uh, uh, we actually have had several uh, different robberies. Uh, some people might refer to as muggings up in the north end, probably about 14 uh, that have occurred. We've had some in the south end. We have made a couple arrests in some of the individual cases, but we're also seeing an increase in uh, robberies at, at you know, a variety of different small convenience stores, like a 7-Eleven type store. Um, and we're putting, our detectives are putting cases together to try and, uh, you know, find out who's doing that. And we are seeing a lot more juveniles involved and engaged in that. And I think that's where it comes down to, uh, <clears throat> while our investment, while we've created investments in it, we really don't understand the full impact that COVID has had on many of our youth. And so we want to make sure that we balance it out, that we're addressing uh, the violent crime that could potentially cause harm. Um, but we also want to make sure that we're not losing our kids before um, before they have the ability to just grow up and, and be young adults and, and contributing out to our communities. What would be the right procedure to follow if uh, we find a weapon or a gun left in one of our rooms or property and we want to get it and they will and wants to get it back is yeah. but if you want to if you find a gun on your property what's the proper procedure yeah i would actually just say call 911 um and i know some people would say well you know gosh i don't want to bother 911 for services and that <clears throat> for us we prioritize what that call for service will be so uh it, it's our our dispatches it's not our dispatch it's actually uh the care department but <clears throat> they're going to prioritize that that call for service and they're gonna be able to determine like, okay, if it's a gun, we wanna get an officer out there quickly uh, so we don't have that location, you know, being tied up with a, a serious weapon out there. If it's a knife or, you know, brass knuckles or some other object, they might prioritize it a little bit lower, but let our dispatch be, let let the city's dispatch be able to assess that rather than uh, you make the determination of like, well, I don't, I don't, you know, who do I call? Should I call an agency or, you know, a non-governmental agency or whatever it is, just let us be able to do that assessment. If any of our listeners right now have a question for their local police department or just a, a casual question that's not an emergency, what do you, how do you recommend they get in touch with your, their local police department? 
Yeah, so, you know, <clears throat> we actually, many police departments probably have some sort of community engagement unit. Uh, sometimes they have public affairs uh, that also, you know, work closely to be able to answer questions or be able to f uh, follow up on questions. Um, so, you know, our public affairs works closely uh, with our community engagement, uh, our demographic communities. So we have officer liaisons that are able to uh, connect. We have our crime prevention coordinators. Uh, we have our community service officers that are also out, uh, that are civilian, uh, non-uniformed uh, personnel. So <clears throat> utilizing, so for us in the police department, the Seattle Police Department, you can just, you know, Google up Seattle Police Department and you a phone number and whoever you contact, they should be able to get you in touch with the right unit. Uh, many of the departments are going to say the same thing. Uh, there's typically just a general line uh, and <clears throat> I would say contact the precinct that you're uh, might be in. Uh, so if you're in the South Precinct, uh, I believe it's 206-386-1850. Um, and those are just memories off of the top of my head. And uh, in the West Precinct is 206-684-8917. Uh, but you get to know at, at some point, like those phone number, and then really like they'll put you in touch with the proper unit that, that uh, you're looking for. All right. Do you have any final thoughts before we let you go? No, I think, you know, it, you know, we want as we come into, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, it's typically we know we, we're going to have a lot, typically more people uh, visiting the downtown core, visiting uh, a lot of the businesses. Um, we want to encourage it to be safe and we want it to, be, you know, have people have a good time. This is a time, you know, where where we want good things to happen. I mean, it's, it's things that we need to be thankful for. And so, but we also want people to be safe. Um, so if you're, if you see something, yeah, you, you see that there's a concern, you feel like there's just something that's not right, you know, give us a call, you know, contact us, you know, let us make those assessments. Um, <clears throat> we don't want you to, you know, uh, try to engage, you know, sometimes, you know, people are in crisis and we, um, and just had somewhere someone where we literally <clears throat> thought it was just more of a, a normal contact with somebody uh, that threatened somebody with a gun. And then we end up pulling three guns off uh, off of, a, a female. And it typically that's not what we normally see. But, you know, we don't want people to just actively engage that because it's just a volatile time right now. And so we want people to be vigilant. We want people uh, to be safe. We also knowing that this is also a time sometimes uh, people are going through a hardship during their during this uh, holiday time. Uh, they've lost loved ones and they're not able to spend time with that. And so emotionally, we find a lot more depression, a lot more people experiencing crisis. Um, and so, you know, just be mindful of that uh, in the community that, you know, we don't always know what other peoples are experiencing. Um, and so always to have that in the back of your mind. Sometimes it's very quick to easy to, to to snap at somebody and now we're, you know, typically many years ago, it might not have resulted in any type of violence. Now we're seeing sometimes shootings happening. And so, you know, like I said, you know, if there's some sort of concern that you just feel, I, I just need to have an officer out there. Maybe the officer might, maybe it's not for an officer, but maybe it's our care department. Maybe it's somebody experiencing behavioral crisis. Maybe it's our community service officers that are able to now respond out. So. We have a variety of different entities. Let us, you know, make those assessments. All right. We did have one last question come in, um, and then we can let you go. There is a big difference between suicide and the variable 
illegal fentanyl dosing leading to overdose deaths. Um, it does the medical examiner classify overdose deaths for fentanyl as murder or accidental? You know, we've actually had, a, uh, I think, a couple cases where we've actually gone uh, after a dealer. Um, they're harder cases, you know, where uh, somebody has experienced, uh, say, fentanyl. Uh, well, I mean, and it wasn't related to fentanyl, but it was related to an overdose death. Uh, and uh, it was very clear that that there was a misuse of of not misuse of the drug on the on the user side, or but it's really misclassification of what that drug was. And uh, we actually went after the dealer in that case, uh, and we actually did get a conviction of it. Um, it typically doesn't happen very often because uh, it it's a lot more investigative work that is is there's a lot more requirements that have to be met uh, to be able to, to actually prove that in a, in a court of law. Um, but <clears throat> we do find that sometimes we are uh, working with the medical examiner to determine like, yes, this is uh, considered a murder case. We have, you know, this evidence that shows this, we have this video that thought that this person thought it was this type of drug and it was actually this. So you can find those cases, but they're a little bit, uh, they're a little bit far and few between, so. Well, thank you so much, Chief. We really do appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, thanks to everybody for coming in and answering, asking great, great questions today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And everyone stay safe. Holidays. And uh, I just have to reiterate, go Huskies, 12 and 0, Pac-12 championship. So <laughs> I hope we're not a Wazoo fan or anything like that, but I just had to throw that out there. So thank you, everyone. I appreciate right. it. Thank Take you. care. Okay, bye -bye. Thanks for listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association. Be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.